Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. As we dig into this today, you'll see how it all really does fit together and how God, uh, there's just no way to say it, no other way to put it. God puts it all together in his time. Now, this sermon series that we've been in, Victorious, we've been in for a few weeks now since uh, back at uh, Palm Sunday, so it's been a couple of weeks. Um, the point is, I want each of us to walk in victory. I want you to walk in victory with the Lord. I want you to know that you know that you know that God's on your side and that you can be victorious, and that's what God's Word says, and that's the promise of God for you. I want, I want us all to walk in that, amen? Uh, there's nothing more frustrating to me than for somebody to tell you to go do something without giving you the instructions that they have for how to do that. Um, it, it's kind of like uh, if I tell my children, hey, go start the car. Sometimes Cade's old enough, he can start the car, and I'm not too worried about him doing something crazy because he doesn't do that. But I can say, hey, go start the car. If I don't give him the keys, he can't start the car, right? Well, we're going to deal with some of the keys to living a victorious life for the next several weeks. That's kind of where we're headed um, in this, in this uh, series of messages on, on living a victorious life. We're going to begin these messages uh, in, in a way that helps us to get going in the right direction. We're going to talk about it today from the Victorious Confession part. We're going to begin with our text in Matthew chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to flip there, Matthew 16, of course it'll be on the screens. But if you want to read along, we certainly understand that. But in Matthew 16, verse 13, it's a famous passage of Scripture that we're all familiar with, but it'll help us kind of dig into this. And it says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all of the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. There's several things in here that I kind of go, wow, that's kind of a weird thing to say. And why does it say that? And why did he put it that way? There's a, it's one of those passages that I absolutely love and yet has so many portions of it that are absolutely misunderstood. I'm not going to try to dig into all of the nuances today of, of uh, every parallel understanding and how we've, in, in certain uh, theological viewpoints, we've gotten off course, uh, how we've made things what they're not, and how there's certain understanding that we need to have. We're not going to dig into all of that. We're going to look at three simple things. Number one, what power our confession has. Number two, what others say. And thirdly, what is it that I say? So when we look at what power... What power? Jesus starts out this whole thought process of who do we, what, what, what do others say? What do you say? What is it that people are saying? There's a whole lot here that we're going to dig into, but the thing is, is that words have power. How many of you were taught when you were kids, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt, right? Bunch of liars. How many of you taught that to your kids? Some of you learned. It's not true. I'm not going to tell my kids. That's not true. I understand the sentiment. You want them to be able to deal with, hey, somebody said something bad. Get over it. That's what you want them to understand and to be able to move past. And we certainly have a generation that needs that a lot today, right? 
We, we certainly have a generation that really has a strong diagnosis of, of uh, sissification. They have been sissified like you wouldn't believe. We, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got that running rampant. We've got it running rampant in the church. Heaven forbid in a church where we're supposed to teach you what the Word of God says, that somebody says something that we disagree with, and we go, what? That No, uh, uh, I don't like you, preacher. In fact, I don't even not like you. I don't even like that Jesus you've been telling me about for the last 25 years. I'm out. Right? We don't like that. But yet, that's what we see running rampant today. The Bible says words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says that the power of life and death is found in the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit of it. The power of life and death. In other words, I have the power with my tongue to build you up or cut you down. I have the power with what I say to make you invincible or completely shrink you to rubble. I have the power to do that with my mouth. James 3 deals with the tongue quite a bit. And James says, you know what, the tongue is such a powerful thing. It's, it's like the, the bit in, in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship that can turn a giant ship by a small rudder, or the world can be set on fire by the words of it. The tongue is powerful. Our words have strength. Our words have ability to turn things amazing. Words have this ability to move people, right? Uh, Think back to amazing speeches that you've heard. I'm talking like amazing speeches like Martin Luther King. Man, if you've never listened to the entire speech of I Have a Dream or listened to any of his lectures in various settings, they are amazing. They are moving. The man was eloquent. The man had a way with words, and his words moved an entire generation of people. But on the other side of that, you have people who are just as eloquently speaking that are filled with hate and vitriol and can move a group of people to do horrific things. Think Hitler. Think Stalin. When you think of amazing people who moved generations, I think of men like Nelson Mandela who were able to do amazing things. I think of great preachers that have gone before, uh, guys like Dan Schaefer, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Some of the most amazing preachers of years gone by had an ability to make things change. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, even by non-believers, by non-believing religions, is still referred to as one of the greatest teachers of all of history because he had ability to move people with his words. He didn't have what we have. Hey, play that video. He didn't have that, right? There was none of that could happen. Now, Jesus did this a whole lot. Look at this wheat. And then he would tell a story. It's like a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground. Unless it falls to the ground and dies, it can't spring up and grow anything new. He was always using illustrations, but his words were recorded to make a difference in what's going on today. Words have the ability to do amazing things. It has the ability, our confession of what we say has the ability to give liberty to the accused or imprison them just the same. And if we're on trial, we want somebody to use their words to speak the right things. Have you ever been called as a character witness? Does anybody know what a character witness is? They call you sometimes in court and criminal proceedings or or even in civil proceedings where they say, we need you to be a character witness for this person. And they want you to talk about how wonderful they are or they want you to absolutely destroy their character depending on which side you're on. But words have the ability to do that. At one point, a judge is either going to stand or sit at his his bench and he's going to say convicted or acquitted. He's going to let you off the hook or he's going to send you to jail for the crime of what you said. But it's his words that do that and nothing else. It's the power of his words that do that. Words have this amazing ability 
to wound us deeply, literally to leave scars upon our heart if we allow them to. Words have an ability, amazing power that words have. Words have this ability to infuse courage or to cut it out all the same. They can inspire us. They can uh, move us to greater action than we ever thought were capable. When I think of, of, of words moving us to action, I think of, of John F. Kennedy's speech when he said, we, we just watched the, the movie Hidden Figures recently, um, and I remember his speech so well from that when he said, I, you know, the, let, let's make it our goal that in the next decade, and he didn't say it that way, I can't say it the way he said it because he said it weird, um, decade or something like that. It's like people who say pecans. I don't understand that, right? They're pecans, right? Um, I, it doesn't matter. Yes, it's a can. You can and you cannot, and you can can things, but we have pecans, not pecans, all right? At least that's the way I grew up saying it in eastern Oklahoma. I'm not saying I'm right, but that's the way I learned it. But he said on the, in, by, the, by the end of this next decade, let's make it our goal to put a man on the moon. And what did we do? Put a man on the moon. Words inspired us. Words motivated us. Words, the confession of someone's mouth, the words that came out motivated and moved us to do something, to, to step up, to move to the end, to say, I'm going to see what this is able to do. I'm going to make something happen because words were powerful. Words are powerful because they're the expression of our heart. Words are the expression of our heart. That's where they come from. Jesus said it best when he said, the things you speak come from the heart and these are what can defile you. They can also make you right. Words come from our heart. That's why, why when somebody gives a heartfelt apology, everything seems to move on, right? If, if there's, uh, in Proverbs it says that if there's no gossip, the, the quarrel will go away. Just like if there's no, no fuel, the fire will die out. Words have this ability, and the words come from our heart. Now listen, when we, when we are told from someone, I love you, and you know it comes from their heart, and they mean it, it changes things, right? Like all of a sudden you're like, Okay. Now, when I told Rachel for the very first time that I loved her, I thought I would, I would, would be really sweet and, and really, you know, this remember, you got to remember we were dating, and I was not very good at this whole dating thing. I, I did it really awkwardly. Um, and don't ask her any of these stories, okay, because I don't want to be any more embarrassed than I already am, all right? But I thought whenever, whenever you know, we were dating, okay, I want you to know that I love you and that I really mean it. It's not just something that I say and it's not just, you know, something that we say flippantly because, you know, you've got the emotional moment happening and you're infatuated. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, that, oh, the ooey gooey, you know, you want some roses and some chocolate and I love you. And you try to slip it in there. No, 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 I didn't want to do that, right? So I was out of town for a week and, when I, and while I was away and I was on the airplane coming home, I thought, okay, I, I really wanted to know that I love her. And so I pinned this really heartfelt note and thoughtful, uh, you know, just gushed all over this paper, right? And then I said, you know, I just want you to know that I really do love you. And I wanted to say it here before I said it in, in, you know, in my words because I want you to know that it was thoughtful and heartfelt and that I truly meant it, right? And, and like, I think it was all she could do not to wad it up and throw the paper back at me and just say, just tell me that. Right, like It's thoughtful that you wrote it down, but just say it. Good, you mean it from your heart, but just sometimes we need to hear those words. We need somebody to tell us, I believe in you, I'm on your side, I'm with you, I'm there. That's what the confession of our mouth does, is it infuses courage in others. It infuses us with power, because words are powerful and they come from our heart. 
It's the same thing that makes sarcasm so stinking dangerous. Because what do we do? We, we say, oh, I was only kidding as I stab you with my words. And then put the, the, the onus back on the other person. Oh, it's your fault that you got offended. I said I was just kidding. No, 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 you said it. Whether you were kidding or not, you said it, and I'm sure that somewhere behind there was true meaning of what you really thought. It was powerful words of Jesus that changed the world, and it's the powerful words of Jesus that are still changing the world, the, the world around us. And, and it was the, the powerful words of Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus found in uh, uh, Luke chapter uh, 24, when, when the disciples literally, after they had walked with him, he was risen, they didn't know it was him. The Bible says that he was concealed from them, that as they're walking along after he tells them, yes, I am Jesus, and he's gone, that they say, man, did not our heart burn within us? As he spoke, did not our heart burn within us? And there are moments that somebody says something and it just, boy, howdy, it just gets us and it ignites our heart with passion to want to do something because of their words, because words are powerful. We've all had words that were life-giving to us and death to us. We've all had those moments. We've all had those words that have made a difference. In our text, Jesus begins by saying, who do people, who do others say that I am? So what is it that others say? What is it that others say? We know that words are powerful, but what is it that others say? Jesus uses this time to ask his disciples, hey, what is it everyone else around you is saying about me? What is it you're hearing? Now, I want to make sure we understand that in the context of this, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just, uh, what is everybody saying? He's talking to his disciples, his inner circle, and he's wanting to know what everyone else around him in the church circle are saying. What, what is it that's going on? What are, what are you hearing? What are people talking about? What, what is it that's happening there? Uh, when, we're, when we're around others, we're going we're, we're to pick up on what they say. When you're around them, you pick up their phrases, right? Our kids do this really well. Popular phrases with my kids are this. Well, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. You all know where that goes, right? Like if you have dogs at home, uh -huh. it doesn't take long. And all of a sudden you just smell it, it's just there. That's the same thing that happens with words. They stick to us. What others say is going to rub off on us. It's going to be there with us no matter what. Words have that ability. Uh, we're influenced by others and we start to pick up their rhetoric. It doesn't take long to realize who you've been around because you start to use certain phrases, right? Now, I can, I can always tell when Josh, I'm going to pick on you for a minute, when Josh has been hanging out with his brother-in-law, Doc, Cecily's brother, I can always tell because he's got a whole new line of jokes that are really funny, and it, we have a good time laughing, right? And I can always tell when they've had some kind of family gathering and he spent time with his brother-in-law. It just works that way. I can tell... When uh, everyone can tell, when my kids have had extended periods of time just with their dad. You know why? Because they've got terrible preacher jokes. Right? Like all of a sudden they go to their mom and they're like, hey mom, check this one out. You know, as, as many of you know, my dad had his knee replaced this week, if you saw it online. Um, if you prayed, thank you so much. He's home. He's doing great. Um, the doctor was really, uh, really pleased with how he's proceeding and all of that. But while we're there at the hospital and we're having a lot of fun with him on his pain medicine... Listen, coming out of anesthesia is funny for anybody. 
And then when you put him on pain medicine, it's even better because my dad and I are very much alike in that, that we are very susceptible to powerful drugs, right? And we say and do weird things, and we repeat ourselves a lot. But while we're at the hospital, of course, every, like almost every friend that comes to visit my dad is a preacher. So can you imagine just this overflow in the room of preacher jokes? And like Rachel's there, and she's like, oh, Lord. Could you please send somebody by that's really funny? Not somebody who thinks they're funny? And I'm like, hey, I resemble that remark. Leave me alone, right? But we, were, we start to, and then you start to cut up, you start to use the same jokes. My Uncle Ernie stops by on, the, on their way out of town to see their grandson, or great-grandson, and, and all of a sudden, here come all of my uncle's jokes and all of my uncle's vernacular, right? And then all of a sudden, I start to talk like I'm a hick from the eat because we pick up the people that we're around. When you hang out with spiritual people, what happens? Man, all of a sudden, we pick up spiritual rhetoric. All of a sudden, we're infused with this dynamic ability to want to speak like with authority what Scripture says. I hang out with with Eugene and Zola, and all of a sudden, I have this passion to want to pray more and really walk with the Lord and one day to be able to uh, see what they have seen happen in their lives. Uh, You get around spiritual people, and the same thing happens. Our verbiage takes on a whole new appeal. Our verbiage takes on a whole new spin because we're around that. Who we are around is going to determine who we start to act like, who we start to talk like, who we start to think like. Put you around people, and I can tell you, you're going to end up like them. My friend Jeannie says this all the time. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. If we hang around people that talk down all the time or full of gossip all the time, guess what's going to happen? We're going to end up full of gossip all the time. We're going to end up, fill up, fill, end up filled up with negativity all the time. We've got to hang out with people who keep us going on the right track because we're speaking the right things. If we're constantly negative, check who you're hanging with. And guess what? If you can't figure out who the negative one is in your group, we've got to choose to be careful who we're around so we have the right things being poured into us. Because see, when Jesus asked them, who do others say that I am? He was confident in what the disciples were going to say. That they're going to say, you are one of the great prophets of old reincarnated today. That somehow this dead person has been made alive in you again. That you are Elijah. That you are Jeremiah. That you are one of the prophets of old. Because you are saying and doing some of the same things. He was confident in their answers because of who they were around. And yet it was in that moment that when he finally changed the subject entirely. When he finally said, you know what, I'm glad you've been around people. You've heard what they've had to say but what do you say yes deal with what others are saying yes know what others are saying yes have heard what people around you spiritual people are saying this is important when it comes down to this how many times have we been around people that don't know what the bible really says and they start to tell us how we should believe If you have cancer, do you want somebody coming in to pray for you that doesn't believe God could heal you? If you need a miracle, I don't want somebody that doesn't believe in miracles to pray. If you need something amazing to happen in your life, I want somebody that's seen something amazing happen to be the one praying. I don't want to be around people in those moments. Listen. 
There's something about having walked through hell that gives you the ability to speak with authority on how to get out of it. Yet we despise those moments of saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. No, 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 no. We've got to back up and say, regardless of what has happened, I'm going to trust Jesus to see me through it. And on the other side, I'm going to use that same thing to strengthen others. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Now go and strengthen the brothers. Go and tell the brothers. I want you to tell them. I'm the one who denied him, and yet he told me to come tell you he's alive. Listen, if it happened to me, it can happen to you. That's what we got to do. At the end of the day, we all have to learn to speak and to have our confession line up with what this says. In here, it's filled with promises. Have you gotten to know them? I want the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to the Lord as the psalmist said. But I've got to know what this says in order for that to start. I've got to be filled with this. So the words of my mouth, what's coming out of my heart, matter. That's why Psalm 119.7 is so important. Your words have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your words I've hidden in my heart. What did Jesus say? That out of our heart come the words. Out of our heart is where it's going to happen. We've got to speak and confess what the word says. The Bible says I'm healed. The Bible says I can have all these things. The Bible says it. So get around others that know what it says. We've all got to learn to speak that language when we talk about what others are saying. We get influenced by others. Now, I know some of you are saying, no, that doesn't happen to me, preacher. Pastor, I don't, I don't allow anybody else to rub off on me like that. I'm my own person. Okay, fine. How many of you grandparents have had to ask your kids what your grandchildren meant when they said? Anybody? What, what does that mean that they just said right there? I have no idea what that phrase means today. Anybody ever had those moments? Come on, be honest. You had to ask somebody else. Guess what? You just got influenced by what someone else had to say. In that moment, you allowed someone else's words to make a difference in your life. And we wanted it. Words are powerful. Even from a two-year-old. Rachel, tell me if this is true. I want a a nod of affirmation or a look that could kill if I'm wrong. No, 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 no. So, So when Hayes says, no, not you, it hurts. Doesn't make you feel good, right? So Hayes is in this thing with the storms the other night, you know, and the storms anytime, you know, he's crying, he wants his daddy because he's a daddy's boy, and Rachel will go in to get him from the nursery, and he'll sit up and look and go, no, not you, I want my daddy. <laughs> not cool, huh? Hurts. A two and a half year old can say something that stings. My daughter does it to me all the time. She'll draw a picture. She'll say, Daddy, look, I draw a picture of you. I'm like, what? I do have a little hair, baby. It's okay. You could put a little bit on there, right? Uh-uh, you bald. Thanks. Words impact us. Getting around the right words, the right confession, the right, the right vocabulary around us really does matter. 
I'm not saying let's argue over semantics as long as we're saying the same thing, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is, okay? As long as we get the main thing, the main thing, we're okay with that. I'm not saying that we develop arguments over over little uh, simple, small stuff that doesn't matter. What I am saying is get around people who are saying the right things. The people that know it, that believe it, that it's a part of their heart, that it's a confession of their mouth. Listen, when you call and say, Pastor, will you please pray? I've got this issue going on in my life. And I tell you, yes, I will pray. I put it into a prayer list on my phone and I pray. I don't just pray that God would somehow help you. I pray for exactly what I believe you need. Healing, a wholeness, health, restoration, a financial miracle, whatever it is you're praying for, I believe that God would do that. I'm praying with you because I believe what Scripture says, that the, the prayers of a righteous man will avail much. And I'm believing that Jesus has made me a righteous man and that my prayers are going to be powerful and effective for you. That's what I want you to know. So when you pray, let's pray together. When two or three come together as touching and agreeing, whatsoever they ask for will be done. I'm going to pray with you. Now, if you call and say, Pastor, would you pray because you're not going to pray? Don't get frustrated when what you're praying for doesn't happen. I didn't expect a single amen on that, but I'm going to let it sink in. When you ask others to pray for you, but will not pray yourself, don't complain when nothing happens. Even when they came to Jesus, Lord, Help my unbelief. I mean, as simple as that. God, I don't know how you can do it, but I know that you're able. Could you help me to believe you to do this? He'll do it. But you've got to give him the chance. See, we get around people and they influence us. This question was about, wasn't whether or not they believed what everybody else was saying. It was about what are they saying? And then he leverages that to leap into what's most important when he says, but what do you say what do you say let's look again at our text beginning of verse 15 then he asked them but who do you say that i am and peter answered you're the messiah the son of the living god now let me stop right there because in historical context what should have happened is peter when he said that that you're the messiah the son of the living god he would have braced himself and turned his cheek because custom said that if anybody claimed that and they were not, somebody said, hey, you're the Messiah, that that person was to slap them in the face to rebuke them. So he would have said that you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, and turned and braced himself. I believe this, but I'm ready for the reality of what I'm about to get. I believe you're the son of God, but I'm going to take this slap in the face. What is Jesus going to say? Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the power of hell will not conquer it. Who do you say he is? To me, it doesn't get to be much more of a personal question than that. You, man of God, you, woman of God, who do you say Jesus is? 
Is he just a good and moral man, a great teacher, an inspirational figure of history? Or is he the son of the living God, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega and everything else in between? Is he my all in all? Is he the apple of my eye? Is he the love of my life, the passion of my heart, the desire that keeps me going? Or is he just some pseudo-God that is just a, a, a time card I simply need to punch on the weekend to pacify some sense of duty? Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. I can stand up here and tell you all day long who he is to me, but you have to say this is who Jesus is in my life. This is who he is. This is why he's the son of God. This is who he is. You see, for me, I refuse to allow Jesus to just be some dutiful attention piece that gets what I have left. I refuse to allow Jesus to just be the recipient of the leftovers of my time and my attention and my affection. But who do you say he is? Well, let me tell you about who he is to me. He's my all in all. He's my cornerstone, my hope, my faith, my love, my heart, my healer, my morning star, my evening shade, my passionate love, my pursuit, my hero, my savior, my cover, my provider, my supplier, my dealer of dreams and destiny, my leader, my guide, my restorer, my everything. That's who he is to me. And I will confess that this is who he is at every situation of my life. Regardless of what it looks like, he will be more than enough because he is grace personified. He will be more than enough. I will not hide my confession of his power as the healer or the deliverer. I will not hide my passion for who he is or the purity of my life. I will not sit back and say he is some pseudo God, that he's some Jesus that some people go to church and worship. But I will say that he is the savior of my soul, the redeemer of my life. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my King. He is my all in all. And I will cling to that confession of my heart. But who do you say that he is? Here's the thing about confessions. They overflow out of our heart. When they're true and authentic, you can't help but express them because it's the expression of the reality that's alive inside of us. The confession just flows out of us when we confess that we are healed regardless of what the doctor's report says because we don't deny that a doctor's report said it. We deny its authority to be there because we stand on the authority of what Scripture says. You want to be victorious and living healthy? Confess what Scripture says. I'm healed. I'm whole. I've been made new. I've been restored. By His stripes, I am healed. Confess what the Bible says. You want to have a, a wonderful marriage? Confess what the Bible says. That as a man, I will lay down my life for you. As a woman, that I will honor you and respect you and give you my love. Lay down what the word says. Confess it over them. You may be married to a scoundrel now. That doesn't deny the truth. But tomorrow he could be different because of the power of the word of God. Confession, thank you. Confession does not change reality. It denies its authority to be there. This is way better than you're getting. When I confess, Ted, I, I, when I was 16, uh, 17 years old, driving down I-40 from Midwest City, we'd been playing baseball, stayed to watch the next game, who we're going to play in the state finals of the tournament. 
driving across town. They're doing construction on the Crosstown I-40 part of there. It's back in 1997, <laughs> a couple years ago. But I'm making my way across town. You know what happened? My, my foot got a little heavy. My friend said, you've never had a ticket? I said, I've been stopped a lot. I just haven't got a ticket. I blamed Ryan. It was his fault. He hadn't said anything. There wouldn't have been a police car there. It's his fault. He confessed it, so there it was. There it is. Never mind that I was speeding. That's beside the point. But I'm making my way across town. I get this ticket, and I decide, you know what? I don't want to drive back to Oklahoma City to deal with this. I go talk to my police officer friend, Joe. I said, Joe, what should I do? He said, well, you don't want to go... You don't want to go to court and try to get them to take it off your record? I said, no, I was, yeah. I'm afraid they're going to throw the book at me if I go because I was already in a construction zone going about 20 over. That's what he did, just like that. He laughed and chuckled and shook his head and said, you're in trouble. So so what do I do? And he said, check that box that says no contendere. I didn't understand what it meant, but it meant no contest. Okay, that's what I'll check. I checked the box. What it was saying is that I'm guilty without having to go stand before anybody and say I'm guilty. You know what? My brother looked up just this last week. He, he got online. There's some stinking website where you can find out all the criminal activity that any of you have ever done. And I just want you all to know you're in trouble. <laughs> if you had a speeding ticket, I'm going to find out one of these days. Just kidding. I don't go to look it up. But he looked it up and sent me a screenshot said, oh, you got a ticket, huh? I said, where'd you get that? There was nothing I could do to hide the fact that I had a ticket. I, I, my confession was I was guilty. No contest just meant I'm guilty. There's, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. I'm guilty. I did it. But without having to actually be there. See, Jesus left us this confession. He checked a box. that said, I don't have to go be there in person anymore in the flesh. I've left you this that says you're not guilty. It's this thing called grace. And I've left you my word and my promises that you know what, if you'll check them and put them to work in your heart and in your life, you know what's going to happen? They get applied to you. Just confess them. Lord, I don't deny the reality that I got a ticket. I deny its authority in my life anymore. It was 20 years ago. You know what? They don't hold it against me anymore. Is it still there? Yeah. You know what? I don't deny that I broke my collarbone. I have a scar all the way across here from where I got the soccer ball from the nine-year-old. I bear the mark of that. But you know what? The confession is that I've been made well. The scar shows I survived it. When I look back on life, I've been through hell at times. I know what it's like to walk the valley low, and I know what it's like to set my foot on the mountain high. I can walk that road and say, you can make it. Listen, I'm going to confess what the Word says regardless of what seems to be reality around me. It doesn't matter to me what the doctor has said. What does the Bible say? That's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to cling to the Word of God. You see, when we confess that we're healed in spite of the doctor's reports, we are are appealing to the highest power for His divine healing. We're not sticking our head in the sand and denying what we see in our, with our natural eyes. We're calling it out and saying, I see you, but I see past you to the healing. I see past you. 
Yes, you're a mountain in the way, but on the other side of that, past you, it's my healing, it's my deliverance, it's my, my, my amazing breakthrough that God's going to give me. It's just on the other side of you. What seems like a mountain in rear view will be a molehill. What seemed like a catastrophe we'll look back on and see as a setup. What is amazing is that God will see us through it if we'll simply cling to his word and confess with our mouth that he is Lord. He's Lord. We have to have faith-filled confessions from our heart because faith-filled confessions have power. Faith-filled confessions have power. Faith-filled, not stupid-filled. Faith-filled. You understand the difference? I know a lot of people have stupid-filled confessions. Let me give you an example. Lord, it's the last $3 I have. I need to win the lottery. That's not faith-filled. It's not faith-filled. It's delusional. Faith-filled says, Lord, I only have $3 left in my pocket, but I'm going to trust you My tithe on $3 is 30 cents. But either your word is true or it's not. And you'll supply my needs. And Lord, if I've not been the best steward, would you help me to learn self-control? So that you could trust me with more? Lord, help me to be blessed in this season so that in the next season I'll still trust you and honor you. Now, as, as we bring this to a conclusion, back in verse 13... It says that they were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. It's an odd name, Caesarea Philippi. I found it odd. I've always found it odd. But as I was studying for this, I learned that this place actually used to be named Panias. It was a region known for its worship of the Greek god Pan. And Philip the Tetrarch renamed it because he loved the beauty of it, and he renamed it after himself, Philip. And after Caesar, because you didn't name anything after yourself in those days. So he named it to honor Caesar and himself, Philip, Caesarea Philippi. That's how it became known this way. Uh, As he renamed it that way, I found it interesting that it was in this context that Jesus decided to ask his disciples about who people say he was. This was a place that was known for the worship of a pseudo-god, who played many roles in their Greek mythological lives. He was the god of fertility, of nature, of, of, of nature and flocks, of wild and rustic music, and various other things. In other words, he was a god that was involved in a whole lot of their areas of their life. He played a big part in their lives. And yet it's here in this place, the region of Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus says, who do others say that I am? And then follow that up with, well, who do you say that I am? And it's there in this setting that, that, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and today I'm going to establish that deeply in your heart is made known. It was in that setting that he said, this is what's going to happen today. It was in this place that a pseudo-God is worshipped that I'm going to establish my authority in your confession that I am the Son of God, that I am the Messiah. You see, you may be here today, and you know what? You've had so many other things happen in your life and in your heart, and it's time to establish God as the one and only Son of God. 
to establish Jesus as the living Lord, your Savior, by your confession. Maybe you've already done that, but today you need to confess him as your healer, your redeemer, your restorer, your provider, in spite of what you see around you. Because in that context, the disciples, they knew it. It was a popular place. They looked around and said, this is Caesarea Philippi. This is where we were, everyone around us, all of our peers, they worship Pan here. And Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter pipes up, you're the son of God, the Messiah. In that context, in that place, that's where Jesus establishes this is who I am. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I've got all this going on and I've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. I have lost sight of that. I don't confess that anymore. I confess my problems and not my God. I confess my issues, not the solution. Today, if you're here and you want to start, maybe you've allowed sin in your life and it is separating you from God, but today is the day you want to start over. You want to start new. You want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe for the very first time. Would you slip up a hand? You want to confess him as your Lord? You want to confess him as your Savior? Okay. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I need to confess him as my healer, my redeemer, my restorer. I need to confess him as the one who makes things right in my life. I need to confess him as the one who can and will see me through. Maybe that's you. Would you slip up a hand? Today, you've got something going on and you've allowed other things there that you need to confess Jesus as more than. You need to establish his authority in your life by your confession that he's the son of God. Anybody, anybody else? Just slip up a hand. Okay? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone across the room to please stand right where you're at. I'm going to ask our prayer team, our, our elders, to make their way forward. We want to agree with you in prayer. If you raised your hand and said, I need to confess him as the Lord of my life again, or for the very first time, we want to pray with you. If you need to confess him as your Savior, your Redeemer, your Healer, your Restorer, then we want to do that as well. And if you raised your hand, or you should have, but that's what you need today, would you get out of your seat and just make your way this way as Rachel sings? It's just a chance for us to, to cheer you on and say we're with you. If you need to confess him as anything, as the Healer, the Restorer of your life, we want to agree with you in prayer. So if you raise your hand, come on, make your way this way. Come on, they're making their way. Let's give them a hand. Come on, let's give them a hand. Who else? Come on, who else? You need to confess Jesus in some way. Come on.